But today I want us to, to begin this series, and I, I've chosen to, to, to call it, what does, you, what does God Think? Well, if we want to know what God thinks, we look at Jesus. And we're going to do that a little bit for the next few weeks. Uh, most people, and when I say most people, I mean people that are churched and people that are unchurched. Most people don't quite understand God. Okay? Now, they, they act like they do. Some of them do. They're the ones that understand Him the least. Okay? But most people don't, they don't quite understand God. That, by, they don't understand uh, God. By that I mean they don't grasp, they don't understand, they don't embrace His will and His ways. If, if someone understands God, they do what God says. All right? That, that's the simplest truth of Scripture. Jesus says, if you love me, You'll do what I say. Now that's my paraphrase. He literally says, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. Okay? Uh, Paul, as, as, he, as he begins to teach the book of Romans, he, he, he says there are, there are three kinds of people. There are the people who, who, who recognize the revelation of God. They see it. They, they, they encounter it in Scripture. They encounter it all around them, and they obey there are those who, who see it and encounter it and hear it, but say, you know what? I'm not listening to that, and I'm going to do my own thing. And then there are those who hear it and believe it, but don't obey it. So when you come to Jesus Christ, if you are going to walk as a disciple, you are to hear the voice of God whether He speaks to you inwardly through the Holy Spirit, whether He speaks from you from His Word, he, he empowers His Word and it jumps off the page at you, or you see it on a, on a billboard, hear it in the words of a song, wherever you're supposed to then hear it and obey it. You're supposed to do something with what you hear. But most people don't do that. Because they don't, they don't quite get God. God's ways are not our ways. Amen? He doesn't do things like we do things, right? Uh, he he tells, tells us in Isaiah that my ways are higher than your ways. So we don't, we don't always understand. We don't always grasp. And, 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 and for some reason, God seems to be a mystery to most people. Now listen to me. There is a mysterious part of God, right? Amen? All of us would agree. But He has revealed Himself in a, such a way that he's, He shouldn't be completely a mystery. There ought to be enough there that we understand that we obey. And so what happens is because he's a mystery, because we don't spend the time to, to understand what he said or to listen to what he says, most Christians interpret God and they define him based on a, a confused understanding of the Old Testament. In other words, the God that they picture is, is what seems to be an angry God that you find in the Old Testament. By the way, that's not the picture of God in the Old Testament. That's a confused understanding of God. Their view is of God is this angry deity who, who's spitting mad. Any of you ever been spitting mad? Let's just be honest, okay? I've been spitting mad this week, all right? All right, I'm just telling you. And, and, and they have this picture of a, an angry deity who's spitting mad. This, and, 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 and he's looking for somebody to take it out on. Somebody to mess up. You say, Nelson, where do you get that at? From talking to people like you? I didn't say you. I just said people like you, okay? Man, God's mad at me. I said, how do you figure that? Well, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. So you think God's mad at you, huh? Well, He's got to be. They don't understand God. And so they think He's angry, that He's mad, and He's looking for somebody to mess up, and He's just waiting for them to mess up that last time, to, to get to that place where they, He doesn't have any more patience. The end of His patience, and then, pow! 
Nothing left but a smoking heap of scorched earth. That, that's, that's how they think about God. Now, others are just kind of puzzled. They're convinced that, that God requires nothing less than perfection in everything they think, they do, and they say. There's that group. And then there's the third group. They don't have a clue what God thinks, except what somebody else. You know, the mad at God people? That God's mad at me people? And, and, and the perfection God people. They, they don't understand what God thinks except for what they've heard from those two groups. So there's a great deal of confusion on what God, on what people think that God thinks. And, and it's that way on most issues. And you know what? The church has not helped them any. If you talk to liberal Christians or conservative Christians or fundamentalist Christians, they have different views. If you talk to, to Charismatics and, and Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists and Episcopalians and Anglicans and Presbyterians and other denominations or non-denominations, they all have differing views. If you talk to Protestants or Orthodox or Catholic believers... They have differing views. So let's just be real honest this morning. If you knew nothing about God and were introduced to Him based on the myriad of prevailing views available, you would likely come away thinking that God is schizophrenic. Right? Because we tell them anything and we tell them everything and depending on what flavor of the day you are is whatever belief you have. And so most people who haven't met God yet in a personal way, they come away with, with with a message that's disjointed. They don't understand what God's saying. They're confused about it. The message has become convoluted. It's become irrational. And therefore, what God thinks and who He truly is has become for them unbelievable and unnecessary for daily life. We've allowed religion, rather than a genuine relationship with God, to define what God can and cannot do. And to declare, we've used that same religious thought to declare what He thinks and what He says and what He desires. And and Paul puts it very eloquently in in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, And now he's talking about... He's talking about gifts that are not used in love and, and confusion and those things. But, but what he describes there is exactly the sound that the church is putting out today. Let me read it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 8. He, he says that we have become like lifeless things, either flute or harp in producing a sound. Now, a flute is not alive and a harp is not alive. But it has a sound. And if it's played in a particular way, it makes sense. It makes what? Music. But you know what? I can pick up this this, this, one of these guitars back here or go sit on that drum. And you know what I will make? Noise. That's that's exactly right. Because I don't know how to play it. I don't know how to make it, it, it speak like it's supposed to speak. So that we've become lifeless things, either flute or heart, in producing a sound. If they not, do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the heart? In other words, well, we, we won't be able to understand it. For if a trumpet produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare for battle? So if we come and we, and we speak about God and, and we play as hard as we can play and we play as loud as we can play and we play as fast as we can play, but the sound makes little or no sense in regard to giving a witness to the true and living God, what, do he, what, what he thinks or what he wants, how can people understand it's, we're not, I mean, I was taught, and this is terrible, but, but it was, it's true, I, I was taught in sports to go as hard as I could, as fast as I could, as long as I could. And sometimes I just didn't know what I was doing. 
All right? I, I didn't know the play. I forgot it. And guess what happens when you don't know the play? You get in the way. <laughs> You, you, you miss your block. You, you don't execute. It's the same thing that, that Paul is saying here. If we don't know what God thinks, how can we tell anybody else, much less apply it to our own lives? And you know what? We don't really have an excuse. We really don't. God has revealed who He is throughout the history of humanity. Since the very beginning, He has progressively revealed His nature. Even if you did not have the Scriptures, God has revealed Himself in creation. Let me, let me just tell you what, God, what we can learn from, from God by just looking around, by opening our eyes, and by just taking a look. Let me find this. Okay. He says in verse 19, Romans 1, this is not going to be on the screen, because that which is known about God is evident. It's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And them is everybody. That's every person in this country, every person in the jungles of wherever. He's made it evident to them, for since creation, the creation of the world, he is his individual. Let me see if I can get my mouth in gear with my brain here. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now the, verse, the next verse says this, For even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. God has revealed Himself through general revelation, through through nature. But he hasn't just done that. He's revealed himself to us through special revelation. Now, you can't know Jesus Christ through general revelation. You can know there's a God. You can know his attributes. You can, you can know a lot about his character. But you can't know Jesus. And so God reveals himself through Jesus, so that we would know what God wants. Yet we've interpreted it, translated it, illustrated and applied it based on our own human understanding and our own human standards rather than divine standards. We've read into it our own biases. We've read into it our own prejudices. We've read into it our own fears and, and our limitations and our selfishness. And we've read into it our own experience or lack of experience. And we've read into it our own misconceptions. And we've made it say things and support views and foster beliefs and segregate gender and people and nations and cultures in ways God never intended nor has He sanctioned. And the reason we have neglected it is we have neglected the key. Okay? The key. The lens through which all Scripture must be unlocked or it must be viewed. And that lens and that key, folks, is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to put what belongs there. Amen. Yes, Lord, you are 100% right. Jesus is the one who reveals who God is. And we're going to talk about that today. We don't grasp God. We don't grasp His ways, His, His wills. We don't understand what or how He thinks because we've neglected Jesus. Jesus is someone who was nailed to a cross, who, who was resurrected from the grave, who's given us salvation. Okay? That's where most Christians are. They don't know who Jesus is. Or why Jesus had to do all of those things. That's a, there's a disconnection. Look, I've prayed a prayer. I've walked an aisle. i got fire insurance. I know y'all hate to hear me say that, but it, that's the way a lot of believers are. They don't know Jesus. They've never got to know Jesus. They know the name. They know how to pray as long as you tack in Jesus' name on the end of it. But that's all they know. And if you and I want to know what God thinks, all we have to do is look at Jesus. 
There's a pastor I listen to who puts it this way. He says, Jesus is perfect theology. Let me say that again. Jesus is perfect theology. You know what theology is? It's the study of God. Theos is God. Logia is the word. It's the study of God. It's the study of God. And, and the reality of it is, if you study the Christian faith and you study God's relation to the world, you're studying theology. Theology, simply put, just put in terms that all of us can understand, is the way you and I think about God. How we think about God is our theology. All of us have a theology. Now, that theology may or may not be biblical. Because of that, therefore, God the Father sent God the Son so that all of us could have the same theology, the same understanding of who He is as God and what He thinks. Because if we don't know what He thinks, and this group thinks He thinks something differently, guess what happens? Look back at history. Think about it for a minute. They went to war. They killed each other. Until the group that disagreed that lost the most people were overcome, and so this view prevailed. You see this throughout the history of the church. We're still doing it today, except we're not killing each other with guns. You know what we're killing each other with? Our words. Our words. Our words. I don't agree with them, buddy. I'll hammer them to death. That's not what God did. God said, you know what? I've got to make a correction here. They need to understand who I am and how I feel and what I think. And so God sends Jesus. God comes. Okay, don't miss that. God comes. And Jesus reveals exactly who God is because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not just an apparition that looks like he's in the flesh. He unites himself to flesh. I don't know. I can't grasp this, so I'm not be able to explain it very well. But Jesus will always be God, and he will always wear flesh. All right? From the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb, he took on flesh. He united himself to us. He didn't exist that way in eternity past. But from that moment forward, forever and ever and ever, Jesus will have a hand that has five fingers on it. He'll have a left hand. that has, I had to think about that a minute, okay? I grew up, I had to put L and R on my hands to get that one. That was one of the hardest things I learned, okay? And it messes me up when I think, okay, they're on my right, this is my right, so I'm not worried about it. This is my left hand, this is my right hand. He's going to have two feet. He has two ears, two eyes. He has a mouth with teeth in it. Do you ever think about that? That just wigs me out. It just, it just... It, it's more, it just blows my mind that God loved us enough, the one who created us, that He would become us. He would take on what He had made. And when He had completed what He needed to do, He wouldn't shake it off and go back to what He was. He would always be that. See, we, we have a Savior, but we also have an elder brother. That's what Scripture calls him. We have someone who, who understands our weaknesses, who understands who we are. And so Jesus comes to show us what God thinks. He, he comes to show us how God deals with people who don't have it all together. And He, he comes to, to deal with the people who think they do have it all together. 
He, he shows us what God desires for us and what only God can do in us and with us and through us. You see, Jesus is God in 3D. Now, He's not just God in 3D. He's God in high depth. And, and I don't understand this next statement, but He's the minimum number of pixels needed to make the picture appear, okay? In sharpness. He is, when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. You are looking at His face. You are looking at His heart. You are looking at His hands. You are seeing the God who created everything, the God who existed before anything. When you look at Jesus, when you embrace and you encounter Jesus, it's God. Okay. Okay. So, okay, preacher. Okay. Listen, He came to visibly and experientially show us who God was. What God thinks. Jesus is perfect theology. And if you and I learn to think like Jesus, we, we will know God intimately. If we, we, we will not just know Him mentally, but we'll know Him experimentally, experientially, and we'll know Him relationally. Our faith will no longer be a mixture of rules and concepts and regulations and, and verses we might have pulled out of context. Our faith will become a person. See, my faith is not, does not rest in what Jesus did. My faith rests in Jesus. Okay? Now, what He did is what He did. But my faith is in Him. It's in Him. Early in human history, we have a promise. God says, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming. And it happens right after the, the, the worst event that could ever happen. After the man and the woman disobeyed God. And after they had, had, were, were being exiled from the garden. God gives this promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. As, he, as literally as He pronounces judgment on the serpent, on, on, on the old devil, on Satan. He says, I will put enmity... I will put a separation. There will be war. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her, your seed and her seed. Now there's a, there is something, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a statement there that we ought to pay attention to. You know why? Women don't have seed. Okay? Who? This doesn't make sense, God. <laughs> Need to circle this in my Bible and begin to seek out what this really means. So I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her, your seed and her seed. And her seed, he shall crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Now, if you're choosing, you want crushed or bruised? I'd rather have bruised. Satan doesn't get to choose. You'll bruise his heel. You'll wound him. He'll kill you. Good gosh, that just, that gets all over me. He said, no, I don't like the word kill. Well, that's what it means. He's going to smash his brains out. That's what it says. You say, well, I don't see that. Well, that's what it means. What does Romans tell us? He's going to use us. He's going to put Satan under our feet. He's going to crush him. And listen, at the cross, he broke him in pieces. At the resurrection, he jumped up and down on him. And when he ascended and placed his blood in the heavenly tabernacle, done. He does not have that kind of power anymore. And it's time we realize that. We can take it, we can, we can think wrongly, or we can believe what Scripture says. I'm going to drink this water. I've had the lid off for five minutes. Give me a second. That's right. That is exactly right. And, and this is the very beginning 
What God is giving this couple is hope. Hope. I mean, they're in a hopeless situation. All they've ever known is the garden. It's not as nice outside the gates of the garden as it was inside the gates of the garden. Everything they needed was in the garden. Now, they have to sweat to get it. They have to fight to get it. They have to scratch and claw to get it. They were thriving in the garden. Now they have to just do everything they can to survive. And God gives them hope. He says, I'm going to do something. Ultimately, progressively, maybe it's a better word, progressively, God begins to reveal through the Holy Spirit how He's going to do it. And what happens is these Old Testament writers, these prophets, these these individuals who, who heard God speak and, and wrote down what God said and obeyed God, they begin to put it down. And so we have, a, we have a promise that begins to get fuller and fuller and fuller until the people of, of Israel were looking for someone who would come. And they call Him the Messiah. They're looking for Him because He's going to set them free. He's going to restore things to the way they're supposed to be. And ultimately, Jesus bursts on the scene. We know that because we read it in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. What do we call those books? The gospel. The good news. Why is it good? Gives you hope. What else? It's about Jesus. I can't hear. It's about Jesus. It is. It, it, it gives us hope. Every one of each one of those books give us, gives us a very clear and a distinct image of who God is. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they use many of the same snapshots of Jesus. John. A few, but most of John's material is a little different. Each one of those books is written to a specific group of individuals. And so they come at it from different ways. But the point is, we get to see God. We get to see how God deals with people who have broken His law. He doesn't go... I don't read one time where He does that. Now James and John come to Him. I mean... uh, Yeah, I believe it is James and John. They come to him and say, Lord, can we just toast them? They didn't give you, uh, they they didn't react to you the way they should. They didn't welcome you like they should. Can we just call down fire out of heaven? I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but undoubtedly James and John were pretty sure they could do that. Okay? Because you wouldn't ask Jesus, something really stupid. They thought they could do that, but they figured they probably needed permission to use their power that way or to use His power that way. And Jesus rebukes them. Okay, Jesus doesn't respond to people. It doesn't happen. Okay, It doesn't happen while He's here. And so what happens is we we see a God who's not like we thought He was. We see a God who's not angry. We see a God who, who, who can be touched. A God who... I'm trying to think of the word. A God we can relate to. A God who has five fingers on each hand. Has a face. A God I can touch. And man, people come from everywhere to touch Him. Just to touch Him. Just If I can just touch Him. And so we, we see a God who, who, who's tired, but not angry. We see a God who's hungry, but not concerned about uh, food to, to feed His body, He's eating other things. He's he's spiritually nourished. We see a a God who can relate to 
Someone who is who is who is got it all together, and to someone who who doesn't have anything together, a God who doesn't seem to be affected by racial differences or gender differences or wealth and poverty differences. We see a God who can interact with the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. And the neat thing is He interacts with them the same way. With grace. And with mercy. And with love. Does He get angry? Uh, Sometimes He does. But He doesn't get spitting mad. I mean, He he makes a whip. And He swings it. And He probably hits some people with it. I know some of y'all, oh my gosh, no, Jesus never did that. He probably did. Exactly. He did. He, he got upset because they were dishonoring the house of God. Not only that, they were keeping Gentiles like us away from God. They were segregating us. We were in the back of the bus. We were as far over there as we could get. You, you, see, you, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We, we were pushed over here because we weren't good enough. We don't measure up. We can't follow God. And what does Jesus do? He comes to us. He comes to the Syrophoenician woman. He comes to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. He comes to people like us. Folks, that's good news. That's good news. Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He comes proclaiming the good news of the king. There's a new sheriff in town. Herod may think he's king of Judea. And Caesar may think he's the ruler of the world. But he's not. Jesus is the king. And he has stepped into his kingdom. And he is showing his Followers, those that will be a part of his kingdom, not just what they need to do to get into the kingdom, but once they get into the kingdom, how to live. I mean, when you go somewhere, you want to know how to act, right? You don't want to be, you know, the person with that, that's out of you know out of bounds. You know, doesn't know the rules, doesn't know the rules. So Jesus shows us not just how to get in; he shows us the simple message of who the king is. And you know what? The king is not wearing royal robes. He's not dressed in purple. He's dressed in the, the robe of a common person. He's wearing sandals just like everybody else is. They're not Jimmy Choo's. You know, they're, they're not. They're not designer stuff. It's just plain and simple stuff. He becomes one of us. One of us. And so He comes to to show us the King's identity, who He is and how I can know Him, how you can know Him. And how we can become, not not just get a, a mansion in heaven, but how we can be a part of His kingdom. How we can be citizens of the kingdom that are productive. It's not about the future by and by. It's from this moment forward how we can live changed lives. And, and not only that, but what I need the king to do for me. And what the king expects out of me and how I'm supposed to live in his kingdom. Everything I need to know about God is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to put it there, okay? Everything, it's too late, you don't need to echo me on this one. Everything I need to know about God is found in Jesus Christ. He is according to His own words, as John 14, 6 says, the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through Me. There are no other ways. Okay? I'm just going to be plain and simple. You cannot find your way to Jesus Christ through Buddhism. You cannot find your way to Jesus Christ through Taoism. You cannot find your way through the Muslim faith. You cannot find Him that way. You have to come through Jesus Christ. 
That's it. And anyone that says there's another way is a liar. All right? That's about as plain as I know how to say it. That's probably not uh, uh, popular, but that's the truth. And somebody's got to stand up and say, that's the only way. So Jesus says, I am the truth, not a truth. I am the way. I am the life. Nobody. No matter how much money you have, no no matter how much prestige you have, no matter how many good things you've done, nobody comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the door. The door. So he's effectively stating there's no other option. Okay? And if you decide to take another option, it's not viable. It will not get you where you want to go. And so the Holy Spirit, He he speaks very clearly to us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. He says this, He says, God, after He had spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In other words, God had spoke to the people of the past and He's done it through the prophets. He would speak to the prophet, the prophet would speak for God. Listen to what He says. In these last days has spoken to us in His Son. Who's the Son of God? Jesus. So He's spoken to us through Jesus, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He, Jesus, is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. In other words, He is me. Jesus is God. And when He speaks, you better listen. When He acts, you better pay attention to how He acts because that's what I'm looking for. When He deals with people who are in sin, this is how I deal with them. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I don't do this. Turn or burn, turn or burn, turn or burn. That's not God. He doesn't do that. He gently works in people's hearts. And He continues to work. And His compassion is poured out. And His mercy is poured out. And His grace is poured out. Yes, there are times when you need to tell a person, look... There is no other way. You have no other chance. There will be no other opportunity. Jesus is His name. And if you don't choose Jesus, hell is where you're headed. Yes, we need to say that from time to time. Okay? But not all the time. Some people just need to know God loves them. They just need to know that He cares about them. That He even knows who they are. And Jesus comes. And Jesus doesn't beat on people. Jesus meets people where they're at. Here's a woman. She's been over, been that way for 18 years. He straightens her up. Here's a guy. He is covered up in demons. I mean, he's infested. How many of you ever had a dog that had fleas? And you saw one. Can I just encourage you a little bit? If you saw one, there's hundreds there. Just take my word for it. I personally know. Okay? He was covered up in those things. That's why they called Him Legion. And what does Jesus do? He gives him back his right mind. Everybody else ran from this guy. They were terrified of Him. Jesus waves right up in His face. You know why? Because He's not afraid of demons. And he's also angry that they have control over somebody he loves. Somebody that's made in his image and his likeness. He wades into the gutter to get this guy. And over and over and over and over through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that happen. It's amazing that even his disciples didn't get this. When Jesus takes Peter and James and John, this is his inner circle, when he takes them up on the, on the mount, and, and they're going to see Jesus transfigured. And when that takes place, Jesus, he, he becomes 
gleaming white. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Together, the, the law and the prophets was the Old Testament Scriptures. You, you see the picture that's, that's, that's there? Peter just gets, he, get, he has a running fit. Okay? He just is so excited. I mean, he is seeing the heroes of his faith. And he gets so excited that he can't hear, he can't think. And you know what he says? Lord, what if I just build three tabernacles here? What if I build one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Elijah and one for you? And we just, I mean, I guess they were going, he was just going to worship there. It gets real quiet. There's a cloud that just kind of envelops. And here's what is spoken out of that cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now does that mean that, that what Moses said is not important or what the prophet said is not important? No. What they say it's important. But we have to listen to them through Jesus. We have to look back and interpret what was being said through Jesus Christ because they were talking about Jesus. Jesus was yet there. He, he hadn't got there yet. And so when Moses talks, and when, when Moses uh, follows God's instructions to put in all of these sacrifices and this, this system of sacrifice, he's looking toward Jesus who will be the ultimate sacrifice. When the prophets begin to prophesy about the Messiah that's going to come and, and these things are going to take place in the future, they're talking about Jesus who, who they have yet to see. But folks, we... Look back to that through Jesus. What God is saying here is, listen to my Son. He's going to fulfill, He's going to feel full everything that's been said. In other words, pay attention to what Jesus says. He's going to translate for you what I have said in a way you can understand. I have learned uh, since I've been going to Mexico and teaching that my friend and brother, Pedro, uh, who's a missionary there, Pedro doesn't just interpret, well, let me, let me say, he doesn't just translate what I say when I'm teaching. Sometimes I'll say a sentence and he'll spend 15 minutes uh, you know, just speaking as hard as he can go in Spanish. I finally figured out, he told me, I said, what, what is the deal? He said, I'm having to interpret what you say into a, a, a line, into a way that they can understand it. And so I, I figured out I don't need to use southern euphemisms there. <laughs> they don't all translate, okay? I need to be careful uh, how I say things. But he still has to interpret them for me. Jesus interprets God for us in a way that every one of us can understand. It's not just one size fits all. He, he may take a verse and speak to me, and it has a meaning. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying there are multiple meanings. He takes the verse, and he speaks to me out of that verse in a way I can understand it. He takes the same message, but he may use other terms and other words and other illustrations for you because he wants you to understand it. Does that make sense? He, he interprets, it, interprets it for us. So, so we got to pay attention. God's saying, pay attention to what Jesus does. This is how I do it. Pay attention to His attitudes. They're my attitudes. Pay attention to His actions. They're my actions. Pay attention to His words. They're my words. In other words, interpret everything that has been revealed to you through Jesus. He is God in the flesh. Someone you can see and touch and experience. I love what the Apostle John tells us in, in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. If you ever talk to a Jehovah Witness, their Bible will not say that. They'll take you right there and try to prove their point, but their Bible is not a translation of the Hebrew and the Greek text. It's made to say what they believe. Okay, now I'm not going to hammer on them anymore. 
But Jesus is the Word, and He is God. And any group that denies Jesus is God is heretical. All right? That's just the way it is. There's only one way, the way, and His name is Jesus. So we know the Word of God, the Word is God. But John tells us a little later who this Word is in John 1.14. We learn that Jesus is the Word, and the Word became flesh. God became flesh. And He dwelt among us. That, that word dwelt there means He pitched His tent among our tents. He lived with us. And we beheld God's glory. We beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, who although He existed in the form of God. That's Paul's Greek way of saying, although He was God. You can't live in the form of God unless you are God. He said he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He set apart, aside his godness. He didn't, he didn't leave it behind. He didn't, he didn't give it up. He just contained it, okay, and didn't use it. That's what that means. And he took the form of a bondservant. And by bondservant, he means a human being. And being made in the likeness of man. I love what the angel does. He gives a similar message. It's a little different, but it's the same thing. The angel who appears to Mary says it this way in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and 32, and then I'm going to read verse 35. Mary just can't grasp what he's saying. And he says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. By the way, when Jesus confronts demonic spirits who speak to him, that's what they call him. You are the Son of El Elyon. You are the Son of God Most High. They know who he is. There's no doubt in their mind. They don't have the problem of, is he Jesus or is he not Jesus? By the way, when Satan comes to tempt Jesus and he says, if you're the Son of God, that's not if, in case you don't know who you are. He's saying, since you're the Son of God, do this. Since you're the Son. He's not, question, he's not trying to make Jesus think he's not. That, that's... Some poor preacher trying to explain that text without understanding the, the kind of Greek that's there. It's not if, it's since. Since you're the Son of God, hey, get you a biscuit off that rock right there. Make that rock a biscuit. If you're the Son of God, since you're the Son of God, just jump. You're not going to fall like we do in gravity. You're God. You know what? Since you're the Son of God, if you'll just worship me, You'll just bow down. I can get what I wanted all along anyway. See, he knew who Jesus was. There was never any doubt in his mind. There's no doubt in the demonic realm of who Jesus is. They know who he is. And Scripture says one of these days, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, whether it's the split-tongued demons or the snake demons or whatever demons they are, they will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It will come out of their mouths. And he goes on, he says this, the, Holy, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. In those verses right there, we have the eternality of God and His journey to become man. He is God and He becomes man. It, it's, the, it's the story theologically. It's the story physically. Jesus, listen to me, is 100% God. He is all God. But He is also all man. He's 100% man. God becomes flesh. And through this unity that will last for eternity, Jesus identifies with us. He becomes one of us. 
And He displays to us how far God is willing to go to rescue you and to rescue me. Jesus becomes the God-man. Now, this may be... This may be beyond what you want to know, but Jesus has two natures. One nature is God, one nature is man. They're not mixed. He's not a freak. He is an individual with two natures inside of Him, and they never mix. He is divine, and He is, he is man. Does that make sense? What's the big deal? Well, that's the only way. He could do it because if he's the God man mixed up, he can't pay for our sins. And if he's the God man mixed up, he's not God. He's got two natures. He's always God. He's always man. Now, if that blows your mind, welcome to the club. It blows mine. I can't hardly understand it, but that is that is the gospel of truth right there. One individual, two natures. They don't mix. That's why Jesus can say, when the disciples ask Him, is this the time when you're going to establish the kingdom? And you're coming back and He goes, I don't know when that is. Only the Father knows. He's speaking out of His human nature. Does that make sense? That's why He gets tired. That's why He gets hungry. He's living out of his human nature. I'm going to take a step farther and, and perhaps this will wig you out a little bit, but that's why he could do miracles because he was working out of his human nature. If he did anything as God, you and I can't do it. In John chapter 14, verse 12, I think it is, where it says, you will do the things I have done and even greater things if you believe in me. If, if that's the case, then everything he did here he did as a man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When it says in Philippians that he emptied himself, it means that he kept his godness contained within him and chose not to use it. Listen, if there was any place, any place, he, 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 he could have used it, and I don't think any of us would have said a word, was when he was being whipped at the, at, the, at the post and given 40 lashes, or when he was nailed to the cross. But he doesn't do that. He experiences it like we would experience it. Except without sin. Okay? That's the only difference. He feels the pain of the cross, not just in his humanity, but when the Father, when it gets dark, what does, what does He say? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences it fully. Now, I'm getting close to the parts I don't understand, so I'm not going any deeper there, okay? It's just, that's some mystery there. But He comes, folks, to declare God's infinite love for you and me. He's God. But He come, becomes one of us so that He can fulfill the commands of God purpose, of a perfectly. So He can give us a visible model of what it means to walk before God in total obedience and in complete holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then to die for us so that, that His death could pay for our sins and through His resurrection we could be raised from the grave of bondage and death that we were all held in. That, my dear friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the front door to God's house. It's not the key that gets me in the front door. It's how I live. It's who I'm supposed to become. It's everything. The gospel is, is so much more than we've been led to believe. It's the good news. And listen, that's how much God loves us. Every one of us. Paul tells us in first, I mean in Colossians 1.15, he says, And he, he's speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's not just a reflection of God. He is God. When we look at Jesus, we are looking at God. 
He is the firstborn. And that doesn't mean the one who was born first. There's another one that the, uh, the Jehovah Witnesses will want to take you to. Well, it says he was firstborn, which means he was born first. No, that's not what that means. The word means he is the preeminent one of all. That's what it means. It has nothing to be with birth order. It's just the, it's the word that they translated into English with. He is the one who has preeminence over all creation. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God. The things Jesus is doing, God is doing. The words Jesus says, God is saying. Jesus is clear. He never does anything independently. Everything He does, He either sees His Father doing or He hears His Father say, do this. That's the way you and I are supposed to live. That's why we have the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us. The Holy Spirit. He sees God working. He hears the voice of God with with no static. And He speaks to us and tells us what we're supposed to do. You see, we are supposed to mirror Jesus. And we do that through the Holy Spirit. So when you look at Jesus... And you'll see what Jesus is doing. You're looking at how God does things. When uh, this story just, it grips me every time I read it. But when they drag the, the, the young woman into the, I don't know if she's young, she may have been an older lady, but they drag her into the, into the place where Jesus is teaching this small group and they say, we caught her in the act of adultery. What does the law say? Well, Jesus knows what the law is. He is the law. He wrote the law. What does he say? Well, then whoever has no sin among you, toss the first one. That's interesting. The older ones go out first, and then the younger ones. You know why? Because wisdom comes with age. Okay? Listen to me, young people. There are lots of people in this house right now that has some wisdom. It would do you well to listen to them. Your parents have some wisdom. Listen to them. That's what Jesus was saying. So, all of a sudden, He's left with her. Woman, where are your accusers? Well, there ain't none, Lord. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't cut her any slack. He just doesn't condemn her. I don't know how you translate this into your life, but let me just tell you, you're going to meet people that, that hurt you. And you're going to meet, meet people that make you mad. If you could treat people that way, it doesn't mean you let, the, you let things that shouldn't happen go. It means that you approach it in a different way. I don't pronounce the death sentence on them, okay? I don't, I don't have nothing to do with them any longer. I, that may be the case, but you know what? That's not my first move. He wants us to act like Jesus. Jesus is, is perfect theology. In fact, John tells us that in John 1.18. He says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He has exegeted Him. He has broken God down into images and actions and words and translated it in a way that we can all understand. Later, John says this in 1 John 1. One through three, he says, What was from the beginning, what we heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld, what we, our hands have handled, we have touched him. Concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen, and we bear witness, and we proclaim to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to, to, this, to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, John says, we have touched Him, we have beheld Him. He's the same one we're telling you guys about. 
So how do I know what God thinks? I look at Jesus. In Jesus, I have a clear picture. I have an impeccable model. I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't have to guess anymore. And best of all, I don't have to believe everything so-called experts tell me. I can read the gospel. And if I can't read the gospel, I can get a movie picture of the gospel being played out that's pretty dadgum good. Okay? I can watch it on the big screen. I can listen to it on, on, on CD. I can listen to it on my iPhone. I can make my iPhone tell me what Scripture says. So I don't have to believe everything somebody else says about it. I can observe myself and see what God looks like and what God acts like in the flesh and follow His example. I can read it. I can see it. And then you know what? I ought to be able to do it. Well, preacher, do you mean I'm supposed to ignore what I've been taught all my life? Well, only if you've been taught something in opposition to how Jesus did it. Yeah, but we're not. We're supposed to get sin out from among us. Well, not with rocks, we're not. We're not supposed to bludgeon people to death with the Word of God. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to forgive people. We're supposed to step up and minister to those that hate us and use us and abuse us. You say, where do you get that? Jesus. Jesus. And folks, that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to look at several different issues. And we're going to see how Jesus dealt with it. And we're going to learn to act like Jesus a little bit. Or at least we're going to get the, 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 wisdom, the knowledge of what to do. See, here's the key. I have to hear what God is saying. That's not enough. I can't be a sponge and just soak and soak and soak. I've also got to do what God is saying. It's not enough to hear. I have to obey. And so we're going we're gonna to see, we're going to hear, we're going to look at Jesus, and then we're going to figure out how to do it. We're going to see how He dealt with people who were in sin. We're going to see how He dealt with, with faith and belief and with sickness and disease and with men and women and, and just some different issues. But today, the issue is this, whether or not we truly believe that Jesus is God. Because if I do, and if you do, you will do what He says. And if you don't, you won't. And that's the simple, that's it. That's as simple as it gets. Jesus is either who He claims to be, or He's not. And every person in this house, every person in this body has to make that. Whether you're in here or you're in the fellowship hall in the overflow, you have to make that decision. Nobody else can make that decision for you. You have to make it. And it's not what you say with your mouth. It's what you do with your life that makes a difference. You see, on that last day, there's going to be a, a group that are going to say, Lord, we... We cast out demons. We heal the sick. We did this. We did that. We did that. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. How is that possible? Because they heard with their ears, but they didn't live it out with their lives. They were hearers of the Word, but they were not doers of the Word. God calls us to be doers of the Word. To be little Jesus. By the way, the word that we call ourselves, Christian. Christians. It came from a place north of Israel, in Antioch of Syria. That's what the unbelievers called the people that followed the way. 
the, the way was what they referred to themselves. They were the ones who followed Christ. And so to make fun of them, they used that term, Christians, little Christ. They act like little Christs. And guess what? It stuck. It stuck. And so today we call ourselves Christians. But the only way we can call ourselves Christians is if we act like Christ. We become chips off the old block. We become little Christs. See, God's intent in the very beginning when He created the man and the woman was to fill this planet with men and women and boys and girls who were made in the image and the likeness of God. That's the same thing He's doing with Christians. He's filling this world with little, with just smaller images of Himself, of Jesus Christ. See, God doesn't have but one plan. It never changes. He doesn't have a, a road for you and a road for somebody else. He's got one plan. And it starts with acknowledging who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord And He is whether or not you and I like it. Okay, We don't get to vote on this one. He's Lord. And when you and I acknowledge that He is Lord and He is Savior, He takes care of us. And when we, He begins to speak to us. And when we listen and we obey, we begin to grow. And we begin to act like Jesus. You will never act like Jesus trying to take a list of things that somebody gave you that they found in the Bible. The only way you will ever act like Jesus is if you hear God speak, either out of this book or into your spirit through the Holy Spirit or, or whatever way He chooses. But if you don't hear Him speak, you won't obey. And if you don't obey, you will never be like Jesus. You see, being like Jesus comes from within here. It's not putting on this. It's here. We are transformed in here. And it oozes out. It overflows. It drips. Okay? I don't care how much you put on, you're just getting layers and layers and layers of stuff. And it's not affecting this. When Jesus begins to live through you, it starts in here. And what's in here? What does Scripture say? What comes out of your heart? Is who you are. And He's calling us, folks. He's calling us to be like Him. If I could sum everything I've said this morning up in one sentence, it would be this. Jesus is God. And He became flesh that we might be like Jesus. That we could live out what God wants. You say, that's pretty high goal, Pastor. Not if you let Jesus live it out through you. It means we surrender. We throw up the flag. And we let Jesus come forth. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.